0: that time again. It's the Coaches Rising podcast. Welcome back, everybody. My name's Joel, and this is episode number 29. This podcast is all about being an extraordinary coach. Today, I'm going to be talking with Diana Chapman about how can we bring play into our coaching and the realm of transformation. That's something that I could do with sometimes, you know, this transformational work can get a little serious. So Diane is super playful and she really demonstrates how we can playfully and lovingly work with the parts of us that emerge sometimes and take us over in ways that don't have a positive impact on others. My family could attest to that. They could name (laughs) several of the parts that that come out in response to being in the family home. So Diana talks about how can we play with these parts in a way that they begin to relax. Okay, uh, Diana Chapman is, who is she? Well, let's take a look. Let's take a look here. She is the creator of the Conscious Leadership Group. She's an executive coach. I think she's worked with over a thousand leaders. And she is the co-author of 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership with Jim Dethmer. She's been a speaker at TEDx, the Mindful Leadership Summit, Wisdom 2.0, and Stanford, amongst others. If you want to find more podcasts like these, you can do that by heading to coachesrising.com forward slash podcasts. You'll also find on that site the different online courses that we're running for coaches and I just wanted to give you a heads up about that because we're getting amazing feedback from people. So check those out. And if you feel like sharing this podcast, I would be grateful.
1: So let's dive in.
0: How's things with you today, Diana?
1: Wonderful. I'm happy to start my day with you.
0: Yeah, great. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. Um, Me too. Me too, actually. And um, I'm really excited to dive in today because I know that you are working with Jim Dethmer, who's somebody that I've um, been deeply inspired by and learn a lot from. So uh, I'm certain that's going to be the case with you. And I know that you're also coaching a lot of leaders as well. And that's a topic I'd like to explore with you today. So maybe we could start there. Maybe I could just ask you, what is, what is the, like, the core of what you're helping leaders to do in this day and age that we find ourselves in?
1: Okay, so the, the first thing, like Jim, probably if, if you've been working with Jim, the first thing I want to support leaders in is first being able to tell, in this moment, do you know whether you're in a state of threat or a state of trust? Yeah. But first and foremost, can you get really good at knowing your own patterns, your, your own threat patterns so that you can say, hey, hold on a minute, I notice I'm going below the line, which is a model that we use to help people be more aware of their own states and, and then from there be able to have some real compassion toward themselves for just being scared and threatened and then can they shift? To a, do, are they willing to shift to a uh, state of trust? And if so, giving them some very practical tools they can use to do that. Yeah.
0: So, so you find that people a lot are in a state where they're not trusting what's here. They're feeling threatened by what's here.
1: Right. My experience is about ninety-five percent of us spend ninety-five percent of our time in a state of threat. <laughs> which is natural and normal and we're biologically wired for that. And the identity is always trying to survive. And so, but there are all kinds of things we can do now to shift from that state.
0: Yeah. And and your coaching, just tell me some of the people, you know, the people you're typically coaching. Maybe that's maybe there's a wide variety, but.
1: I work primarily with CEOs of organizations. I work extensively with a YPO organization, which is a global leadership organization for heads of of companies. And I also work with all kinds of teams in Silicon Valley and across the uh, United States. Yeah.
0: So you mentioned this term like above and below the line, and maybe there are people listening who don't know what that means as well. So maybe you could share with us. Yeah,
1: we use this model. It's this very simple model. And it just says, hey, in any given moment, you're either in a state of trust, and if I'm in a state of trust, like I, I can experience myself right now in a state of trust, which isn't always the case when I'm being interviewed. But right now I feel open. I'm curious. I want to learn. I don't feel any part of me needing to defend myself. I'm, trying, I'm not trying to control an outcome or seek approval from outside of myself. I'm in this oh, open, curious place. feel willing to feel my emotions if they're here, my body feels available to feel any of the sensations, versus when I'm below the line, I get a little constricted, at least a little bit, if not a lot. And when I'm below the line, I get scared. My ego identity perceives a potential threat to its survival. And so I'll start to constrict. I might, um, my breath might sh- get shallow. I might um, try to put on a show. I might I might somehow... Uh, show up in a way that's not um, accessing my, um, my full IQ, EQ, my emotional intelligence, and my BQ, my body intelligence, because I'm in the state of threat. And so I don't get to have access to all of my centers of intelligence because of that threatened state. And so my belief is leaders want to have access to all those centers of intelligence what they can do when they're in a state of trust.
0: Mm, nice. I, I, just thinking back to how many times was I in a threatened state over the last week, you know, and I, I quite a lot more than I would like to admit. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So, <laughs> Welcome to being
1: human. <laughs> it's, right. just, it's just part of the game. And the more we can play with and have fun with that fact, the easier it is in my experience to learn and grow and learn how to shift over more into the states of trust.
0: So, so how do you help leaders to do that? You know, because, um, yeah, let, let me stay with that question first. How do you help leaders to shift?
1: Um, well, so one thing that I like to do um, is I like to help people recognize that we are made up of many parts. I call them personas. Hmm. And we have different personas that show up in different places that help us be effective. And personas are fantastic. And because they, they help us communicate effectively to whomever we're talking to. So right now, if I was talking to a bunch of kids who are listening right now, maybe five and six years old, I might have a different persona. It's like, hi, kids, how are you? Right? And if I'm talking to my sorority sisters from college, my girlfriends, how you doing? And if I'm talking to um, my grandparents, I might be hot. You know, there'd be a different thing. I'm tuning into who's my audience, what's my persona, how am I going to be engaged? And so leaders find out that they sometimes, are, when they're in a state of threat, are, are accessing a persona that's not so valuable in the moment. So for example, I might have a driver persona that's like, hey, let's get stuff done. Well, then I'm in a state of threat. I can bring my driver out and go all right and i can get aggressive and people can get scared around me and that persona isn't really serving the moment because i'm doing it from a state of threat so one of my favorite things to do is help leaders identify the various personas that they have and especially those ones that they get reactive with to learn how to make those bigger so that they learn to play the persona so the persona doesn't play them
0: nice nice yeah so uh Um, I'm just thinking of what are some of mine, like controlling, you know, like that's one recently that I was like, Oh my God, you know, I just get so controlling. Like, yes, (laughs) which has a kind of like, ah, you know,
1: like, yeah, do it my way or the highway.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so tell me, like, how do you, is it pretty easy to identify those personas for a leader? They're just like, yeah, pretty quickly. This is how I show up.
1: Yes. Yes. And I have some handouts, which I'm happy to share, that give people some examples of the different personas and what they say, so that people go, oh, yeah, I say that one a lot, or I do that one a lot. And so that gives people an idea of what, what parts might be coming out more unconsciously. So we could use your example. So you can say, yeah, I have a controller. And we always say, like, see if you can give it a name, like a fun cartoonish name, you know, like, Igor, or something like that, you know, or whatever it is. And so then you introduce that persona to some of your colleagues and say, Hey, I have this part. And they all go, Yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah. And they, you say, If you see this guy come out, if you see me starting to play this persona, would you give me a little signal? So this might mean I and sign language. Like if you see Igor come out, give me a little I. So if we're sitting in a meeting and somebody might go like that, and you just go, oh, Okay, I see it. I can see I'm in see? Igor.
0: So you're like for the people on the listening on the podcast you're like wiggling your finger now so people would right. be doing like visual
1: right. like a little sign or something to, so that we are not in, we don't have to interrupt the work that we're doing but we can just say hey be aware you you're in your pattern here you're in igor and so then you might for a moment go igor is here and make it bigger so everybody can giggle because it gives us a little comic relief that we know it's here anyway so you can say, yeah, I, I realized I got a little aggressive, didn't I, in this meeting? Um, I realized that's, I, you know, when I get worried, I get my, this part of me starts to come out a little bit more. So let me just take a breath and come back and recognize I'm okay, we're okay, there's no problem here. And then from there, I want to keep doing business now where I'm not being run by this part of me called Igor. Igor. And we all end up enjoying ourselves a lot more when that part's not running the show. Mm, yeah. At least okay. not running the show from threat. Occasionally Igor is really great from a state of trust. Maybe we need Igor once in a while and we just might, maybe we even call Igor out like what's Igor say right now? You know, and you might come out with a little more of your opinionated self about what you want and it could really serve us all. So it's not like there's any persona in particular that's a problem we want to keep all of them because they all have in certain situations really great value. And they have, we have, each persona has a gift or a superpower so we don't want to get rid of any of them, but we want to learn how to play them and have fun with them. And they're here anyway. So let's make sure we're aware of that. Yeah. And I mean, that's
0: one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was playfulness and I kind of get that you're quite a playful person just from, we've never met before, but you know, you've already shown me all these different you know, ways that you could show up with people and, um, what I like about what you're saying is that you're not making it wrong. Exactly. You know, like it, because, you know, that, that and I think that can come through a bit in personal development work sometimes is we, we try to, you know, like, oh, I wanna grow away from this thing because I don't, I think it's bad and I wanna become that because it's better, but actually you're saying we're welcoming these different parts of us. and I think that's important.
1: Yes, and it's really important to recognize every part's intelligent. Every part has a gift. Every part was a strategy early on that really helped us when things were difficult for us when we were little. So we're grateful for that part. We appreciate the gifts of that part. We want to keep that part. And, but we just want to make sure that that part isn't running us from a state of threat.
0: Mm. So when, those peop- when people make that little signal, suddenly it breaks the identification with the part in some way.
1: Yes, So I'll give you a very practical example. One of my parts is called Toxic Cop. And Toxic Cop really is um, a bully about what everybody should eat. Everybody should eat healthy, organic food all the time. And if you were like, are you drinking Gatorade? Do you know that has red food coloring number five in there that is cancer causing? I mean, I don't know what you're thinking, putting that into your body. And so Toxic Cop is... From from above the line, you can imagine a very thoughtful persona that chooses really thoughtful foods for me to eat. But from below the line, she's really no fun to hang out with if you want to enjoy some comfort food or whatever that is. And so in my family of origin, they all finally put their foot down and said, we're done with Toxicop. We don't want to keep getting bullied all the time about what we're supposed to eat. So I realized that that part came from a part that's really scared about people getting sick and potentially dying. It's a real core, deep threat underneath. It doesn't make sense cognitively, but it's there. And so I, I got connected to that part and recognized, you know, people could die and people could, people could get sick and I, I'm going to be okay no matter what. And so I learned how to relax the fears and threats underneath that. And then I started to play with it. So I got this, I went out and got a little a magnifying glass. So whenever they would, I could feel myself get scared, I'd pull my magnifying glass out of my kitchen drawer and I'd go, let me see the ingredients of that. And I would make it bigger on purpose. And they would, we'd play with it because I could feel it starting to come in. And so if I made it bigger and I go, oh my God, we're all going to die. looking at the ingredients and everybody would laugh. And see that it was, I would, and the more I played with it, it started to settle down. And then I remember six months later opening up the drawer and realizing I hadn't pulled out that um, little uh, piece for months because I stopped having that persona running me anymore.
0: Mm, Nice, nice. Um, Yeah, let's, let's, so playfulness seems to be something really important in this process and uh, maybe not something we often associate with coaching or with being a leader, you know, like it's a serious job being a leader. um, You know, I know in my own life, I've certainly had that, you know, like my own growth and my sense of purpose and mission, really beautiful things. And if I'm not careful, like they can get a bit, a bit serious as well. So um, maybe you could just share about why you think playfulness is, is important in
1: transformational work. Okay. Here's the thought. Drama is so damn entertaining. <laughs> it's so fun. And the bigger the villains and the victims and the heroes are, the more we all wanna tune in and the bigger the blockbusters are. And, and so we, we get, you know, it's really entertaining. So the only thing that I know that is more entertaining than drama are two things. One is play. Ask kids, what's your favorite part of school? What do they say? Recess. Anything where they get to play. And one of the things we know is humans and all mammals learn best through play. And that's we all want to learn and grow. That's what humans are begging for underneath it all. So play. And then the other one is purpose. When you are deeply on purpose with things that have so much meaning for you and you're really accessing a ton of your creative energy, um, the drama is not as interesting. So I'm particularly focused on how do we help people be on purpose, which lots of my clients are, but they don't know how to play very much. So how do we bring play and fun back into our day-to-day lives so that the drama gets boring?
0: Mm-hmm. I like that because it's like it's just like saying, Here's something more appealing. You know, yes. like you don't have to like necessarily work hard to stop the drama. It's like you're just going to something more appealing. And um, you know, like I, I also think like that drama for me, my own drama, my controlling, it all is really serious. You know? yes, That's the thing
1: is like, God, so goddamn serious.
0: And, and um,
1: uh, yeah, and there's a lot of chemistry, right? That gets with that seriousness. So then we get our norepinephrine and cortisol and adrenaline. It's like, <laughs> we love all that chemical stuff that gets us a little high. And so what, what's it like if we start playing, we get a different kind of chemistry that runs through our veins that can be even more delicious. But we got to train our bodies to get off of those adrenalized chemicals over there and come into the ones that we get when play starts to kick in. Do you think even
0: like ego maturity, you know, like that, I know for me, the, I, I, as I get older, I take myself a bit less seriously. and and, um and that feels good you know like it's not just playful but it has a certain how can i put it like like my my genius can come through more easily or um like i can be more compassionate or more creative you know and, and, and live my purpose more fully when when there's more spaciousness and movement
1: yeah when you're in less threat Right. So that's so play really helps us stop feeling so threatened because to your point, when it starts getting serious and when it's not funny, we're all in big trouble. Mm. Yeah. So how do we make stuff fun and funny without denying, you know, significant issues that are arising and using the intelligence of our anger and our sadness and our fear when, when those intelligences are required? um, How do we let those be here um, and play? So um, it's not an either or. Yeah.
0: How, how would you bring play into the coaching? I know you've been speaking about that with, you know, these parts and uh, accentuating these parts and, and, and playing with those. Is there, is there, how do you bring play into your coaching? Like when yes, you're with your clients?
1: Let's say you come with an issue mm-hmm. and I say, okay, as you think about this issue, do you think you're in threat or in trust? And everybody's in threat. So, there I'm in threat. So we get everybody into the drama triangle. I'm sure you're probably familiar with the drama triangle. Mm-hmm. The hero, We call it the hero, victim, and villain. Um, and I literally put cards down on the ground. One says hero, one says villain, one says victim. And I say, you're going to tell me again about the issue, but this time I want you to really dramatize it like you're in a soap opera. And as you tell me about it, make it really big and step on the bases so we get to see how, what a big deal this is. Well, that in itself starts to loosen up somebody because suddenly it's, my boss never listens to me and I have to, you know, and they get in there and they dramatize the whole thing and it starts to feel a little silly or it's a little funny or they realize they're pretty reactive. And I say, what do you do next? Well, I go in and I tell him more and more, but then he doesn't listen and he cancels meetings. And so we're running around in this drama triangle and physically moving around on the basis. And there's some, there seems to be something about getting the body involved that's very helpful. Mm. Yeah. So they're all running around on those bases, And then I say, okay, great. Um, now we're going to identify these personas, the, the ones that are running this issue. So we'll identify who's your hero that runs this thing. Who's the villain that runs this thing? Who's the victim? And then we interview them and we get to know them and give them names and find out all kinds of stuff underneath the whole issue that the client hadn't seen before Mm. and very playfully interview. So we have them take on the character and the voice and have them stand up. And I, I call them by the name of the persona as I ask them questions and they get a lot of awareness and insight that they couldn't see before. Mm-hmm.
0: Nice. Yeah. And do you have like um, a positive equivalent of the, the, you know, the hero, the, the um, victim and the persecutor? What's the third one? I yes. can't remember. Yeah. Because, you know, in one way, is that enough just to create the freedom from those parts? Yes. Or is there another step into, are there some more empowered qualities or,
1: The hero, victim, and villain are all flavors of the state of victimhood. Yeah. So in order to get out of the state of victimhood, you have to step into the next, the drama triangle, up in the top leadership triangle, which we got from David Emerald, is you have to step into the role of creator. So you leave victimhood and go into creator. And then once you're in creator, you can be a coach and challenger. And those are the three roles that are the opposites of victim, villain, hero. Nice. Yeah. Um, I'm
0: curious uh, about purpose. You know, like you said, um, like that's something else that, that I find has people step away from drama into purpose. And how do you coach people around purpose? Do you have a particular way that you, you know, that you have people
1: clarify what their purpose is and, and then live it? Well, first I want them, I want to be sure that they're working from their zone of genius. It's a term we use from Gay Hendricks' book, The Big Leap. So I first want to find out what's your zone of genius? What is, some people call it flow state. What's that thing that you do, time and space go away? And it's very difficult for you to appreciate because it's easy for you. A lot of people get stuck in their zone of excellence, which is, something they are really good at, but they they know they're good at it because they've built it over time and they value it more than their zone of genius because the zone of genius seems so easy. Mm. So I first want to make sure we really understand what is your zone of genius? And um, because working in your zone of genius is so much fun that it's, it feels like play. So um, that's important. And then how are you going to Insert your zone of genius into the world in a way that has deep meaning for you and meaning for others. So we look at your core values, what matters to you. How would you like to, you know? I imagine if the world is a garden and you get to fertilize it in your life, your life, your lifetime is a fertilization of something. What do you want to fertilize that would have great meaning to you? And so, from working with zone of genius and their deep values, we find what they want to focus on as they continue on and hopefully shifting from a career to a calling Mm. yeah yeah
0: and so could do you know what your genius is would you be willing to share that is that a bit vulnerable or
1: no not not at all so i have my zone of genius is being able to tune in and notice in others around me where there's constriction where there's threat i just have a nose for threat and i can Feel it, sense it, and go right after it. And um, so I found a profession in which I can use that gift all the time. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, I remember doing that when I was a kid. I remember, I remember sitting around in the holidays with the family and just tuning into each family member and seeing how they're in threat, how they're in threat. Since I, I can remember that at three and four years old.
0: Huh. So I imagine you do that with a client. Yeah, you're sat with them and you you're sensing into where they're in threat
1: in some way. Yes. And so they'll say, oh, I don't think I'm in threat. And I'll say, well, how about this? And they say, oh, yeah, <laughs> yep, you're right. That's still in threat. And so, I, so the, the value of that is being able to help them see it. Because if you can't see it, you can't shift it. Hmm. So really want to help people see, oh, yeah, you're right. I, I can see how I'm in threat here.
0: Right, right. Well, yeah, I love this, and I, I'm thank you for sharing that because I think it brings that idea of genius into something like practical for people listening. And so, uh, so yeah, you were saying with a client, you would just say, "What's that thing you love to do?" Where you might not even think you're doing anything, but you've probably been doing that thing for a long time, you know. And and how can you then bring that into your leadership or into your life in general?
1: Yes, yes. And we use an exercise that I love called the eight memories exercise. Or in our on our website, it's called the best stuff. So I ask my clients, go tell me about your eight favorite memories. Any time in your life could be anywhere where you had two experiences. One is you really thought whatever you did, you did a very good job, and two, you really had fun. And it doesn't have to mean haha fun. It could just mean like deeply, uh, it was really valuable, even though it was rigorous. Or, um, and so people will go tell me about those eight favorite memories. And you'll hear, you know, maybe there'll be one or two that will be outliers, but you'll hear at least in six of the eight, the, the same exact thing is happening every time, which makes them easily able to see, oh, yeah, I see what I'm doing. I'm doing my zone of genius in each of these memories.
0: Mm. Nice. And then you can reflect that back to them as you start to hear it.
1: Exactly.
0: Do, do you find that people are, um, do they just go like, oh, that's it. That's my genius. I want to do this all the time. Or do they, do they is there a resistance that comes up? You know, like oh, you said, the sure. zone of excellence. Yeah.
1: Sure. Well, there's resistance because they often do still say like, I don't really, that's my zone of genius. It's like telling a fish what a great swimmer it is. And the fish is like, what do you mean? I'm just, Being me swimming around here, I'm not doing anything special. So people have a hard time at first taking in their zone of genius because they do know it's fun, but the ego thinks it's supposed to be hard or something they've had to work hard for over time. So that in and of itself is a challenge to get them to see that. But then they do acknowledge, finally they go, yeah, I love that. But then people get scared. Wait a minute, how am I going to make a living doing that all the time? I know how to make a living doing my zones of excellence, but I don't know about this. Or will people let me stay in my role if I do more of my zone of genius? And so there usually is a threat somewhere to their, quote, success. Hmm. But for those who do get their lives in alignment, they're ecstatic at how how happy they are. Hmm.
0: I imagine you could work with the parts a little bit if around people with the fear, you know, like how do I make a living Ooh, this is what my identity is based on. Am I allowed to do that? That genius thing? Like that's just too easy or something.
1: Exactly. And that's a big part of it is it can't be that easy. Life can't be that good. That feels like robbing a bank. <laughs> what, so
0: what would you say to coaches listening who might not know what their genius is? I mean, would you You'd say like, check out this eight memories kind of process or,
1: Yeah, I would say do the eight memories process. It's called The Best Stuff on our website. It's a handout you can take and use. We also describe it in our book, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, that exercise and another one where you send out an email campaign to a whole bunch of people who know you from a lot of different um, areas of your life and that you ask them all these same few questions. And my clients get really valuable feedback from that exercise as well. And then also I really love the book, The Big Leap. Uh, That Gay Hendricks wrote on this idea of the zone of genius. I think he does such a good job of describing it and also talking to what you mentioned, which is one of the other big challenges is people are afraid life can't be that easy or that fun, and so he goes a lot into what he calls the upper limits problem in that book. Mm.
0: Nice. What What's exciting you most in your coaching at the moment? Like what What's the edge of your coaching? I I asked that because. I know for me, you know, coaching is something that it's not just a job, you know, like it's a calling and it's, it's work with a capital W and there's, it's like an, an ongoing life journey. And so I wonder for you, like what might be at the edge or the, you know, the leading edge of your coaching that you're exploring in your work?
1: Well, I, it is around play hmm. and it is around this idea of Um, how do we, let's say we've built a business as an organization of us, how do we learn to play, which I think has been, you know, most of us went to schools where everybody has to sit up straight, stand in line, no more messing around, and play got taught out of us, um, except for these little moments on, you know, where you could go have it at the recess. But otherwise, life stopped being playful. So having helping cultural groups learn how to play together again is one of my deep passions and how do we play at work and in ways that don't distract us so much from our work but can be incorporated into our work um, and so that's one of the things I'm really interested in and I'm just always shocked at people are like what does it look like what would it what would you do and so helping them. I, we, we just created a t-shirt that says play on it at, for the Conscious Leadership Group. And it's inside of the t-shirt are all of the different ways we could think of for how to play at work that are written into the letters. So that we, so we're hoping that people will buy them and then walk around with these t-shirts and remind everybody how they can play together.
0: Because, well, that's the first question that I was, I was like, well, how, how do you do that then? So of course, I get a general sense of play, but I imagine for a lot of people, it is a bit of a taboo, or it's it's like a vulnerable thing to do, you know, because it's not traditionally done. So, how do you right? So, like simple
1: things, even like um, like at a business meeting, somebody's this somebody's got to tell everybody what the numbers are. And, you know, it can be kind of boring. And so the guy tells it, he's got it, he's got his, his Irish grandmother speaks in this very rogue accent. So he does her accent as he tells everybody the numbers and everybody's so giddy and delighted about it that now him giving the numbers is now one of the favorite parts of the meetings. Um, And so we take what would have been kind of boring and dull and he dramatizes his, channels his grandmother in telling everybody about the numbers or we have it at four o'clock. Everybody's getting a little bit sleepy. We're just going to, for three minutes, everybody get up and we're going to have a dance party. One song, three minutes, everybody gets up and then we get back into our work and what a difference that can be. Or, um, ways we use appreciation. Like we, how, how could we shower one another with appreciation can be an expression of play. Um, or competitions, you know, what kinds of fun competitions can we have that, um, that are playful and not caught up in threat and trying to prove our value. Mm. Um, so on and on and on, you know, I, I, someday I think I want to write a, a book on how, what are all the ways I can think of to play.
0: Yeah. And I'm just thinking of one I remember, which I loved on a training I was in, where I was like, this is genius. So it was in a space where they have a lot of those chairs on wheels, you know, like office chairs, but the space had been cleared out. But the chairs were still in there. So just after lunch, uh, the guy was like, okay, I want you to find a partner and then grab a chair. And then one person will sit on the chair and then the other person is going to push you around the room as fast as they can. So there was like... (laughs) 20 people sat on these chairs all flying around and it was just incredible and the amount of energy that it brought in was, was uh, nobody got hurt you know it was, and then there were, I remember people looking in and from the other room a little bit puzzled about what was happening but that just came to mind
1: yes that's very fun another one I like is um, we have a hat and in the hat there are little pieces of paper and each paper has a kind of persona on it and so everybody has to go pull out a piece of paper, and they have to act like that persona while doing real business in a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> so, well,
0: like, so there might be some people listening in who are like, "Well, yeah, but why? Why do this? Like, what? You know, is it not just getting a bit silly or something? Or what, like, there, there must be a reason why you feel so passionate about it."
1: Well, sometimes it is all about just being silly because what's wrong with being silly. It's fun. And if we don't make fun that way, we'll start to get into, did you hear about John and what he did? I can't believe it. And then we're going to get into our gossip and said, so silly, in my mind, seems a lot more, more nurturing for all of us than all of the alternatives that go below the line in threat. Mm -hmm. Um, It also, what I find is when people are playful, they learn more, they, they're relaxed more. And so we actually listen more to each other. We're more, we, we actually have more ideas, more innovation. So silliness can make people more creative. So um, right now, you know, in the world, that's one of the things everybody wants is how do we innovate? How do we break out of the, the old ideas that we've had? Well, play really helps people. So I've even done things where I just said, I had an advertising team was really stuck creatively. So I had them all get up and I just said, everybody's got to move your bodies. You're going to keep generating ideas, but move your bodies in a way you've never moved before. So they all started moving around. I said, get your hips into it. And they were moving their arms and their legs and ankles and fingers. And suddenly all kinds of cool new ideas came out and they came up with this campaign so quickly. And they're like, we've never done anything like that before just from changing out how they're in their bodies and how the postures they're using.
0: Mm. I guess what a question that's coming up, which I want to ask you more about, but also was related to play is do you get people then practicing play in between coaching sessions? You know, and I guess I'm curious about what, you know, what do you give people as do you, do you get people practicing things in between coaching sessions?
1: Yes. I love to get them to play. So sometimes I have them get a little prop to play with a persona that they, they bring around with them in the world. Um, and so like I had one CEO who was being criticized for being um, my way or the highway. So I had him, this, I had him get this kind of, uh, this hat that was like a workman's hat. And so he said that he had the hat at work and he would just put the hat on and they would start to get, whenever he started to feel that part of him coming out, he'd put the hat on. And he would in the meeting and everybody would start to giggle and usually they'd get scared when he'd start to act this way, but they'd start to giggle because they saw he was aware of this pattern and he acted it out a little bit for a second, made it a little bigger and then the whole pattern relaxed and he kept moving along, took the hat off to the side and then kept moving along with the business. So they all didn't get distracted by his aggressive behavior. Mm -hmm.
0: Nice. Nice. So yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, what um, what for you is like a big inspiration into your coaching at the moment? Do you have a like a sort of um something you're exploring? Like um, I like asking this question, and I used to not ask it because it's a bit Tim Ferriss like, and well, Tim Ferriss is great in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. actually, I've started to discover really cool new things from it. So I'm just wondering, like, what do, what are, what's a, who, the thing that you've explored recently? has been really inspiring that's influenced your coaching in some way? Like it could be a book or a teacher or a course or anything really.
1: Well, I would say, you know, one of the things I love partnering with Jim Dethmer around my business partner Hmm. is the gift he gives his clients of really unconditionally loving them and inviting them to do the same for themselves. And one of the things that I'm really inspired by right now is Seen in them, there's just this sweet little scared kid in there. And seeing in myself, there's just a sweet, sweet little innocent kid who's just scared in here. And helping, I'm just so inspired for all of us to start to build this, not just intellectual understanding, if I get you're scared and I get you behave this way, but this drop down into the heart and body compassion of awe. So when I wake up in the morning, if you know me, my spiritual practice now is I take my um, back of my hand and I start to kiss. And just to give myself, just to start the day with some compassion for this stuff being human, it's challenging stuff and it's scary a lot of the time. And can I just give myself so much compassion and give others the same? And and what I'm noticing is drama is changing in the cultures I work with when people are learning to take on that skill, especially taking it from an intellectual concept, which a lot of people have because of the mindfulness movements, but really dropping it down into a direct experience of, of opening one's heart to people themselves in threat. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it 's something um, that I also see in so many of my clients and myself too yeah i don 't want to keep myself excluded from that, but I work with a lot of CEOs I work with some executives in quite um, you know tr- traditional environments where there's a high pressure but once you get in the coaching room and then you start to have this real conversation, people are just like you shared there you know people are feeling threatened and they're feeling vulnerable and there's these parts in there that are, are, are afraid or you know that are being very instrumental in the way they became successful but they're not quite working and now they you know they don't know what to do and so so much of that work is about just having people come into a self-acceptance and a, and a deep compassion
1: for yeah and like just so much like take the time to just wrap our arms around these parts you know metaphorically and just give them a little time sitting on our laps and loving them up you know goes a long way
0: and paradoxically
1: um you know
0: often people come into coaching because they want something but I think often that the thing they want is they want that because then they think that they will feel good when they're there and they're (laughs) actually trying to get away from just doing what we're talking about, which is just meeting and accepting these parts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. So I've been slowing down. I think one thing I'm inspired by is slowing down my coaching and putting more time and attention on that.
0: Mm. Yeah. Is there anything you want to share as we just start to, you know, bring this conversation to a close? Like, is there anything you'd like Uh, to share?
1: I would just say, you know, I'm, I'm, I am really passionate about the coaching industry in general, finding more ways to play with our clients to inspire play. And I wonder about how we might all collaborate with what we each individually know about how our clients and our and their cultures are playing um that interests me so if that's something that you any anybody listening has got experience with i would love to have them reach out and let me know what they're learning i, I, I really think that um if we're going to change the game out there we got to find a new game to play that's more interesting and fun and i think play can be that
0: mm. i just thought of Michael Bungay-Stanier, who I don't know if you know his work, but it just reminded me, um, yeah, he's a, I have a podcast of his, but he's also really playful. He wears these bright shirts, and, you know, <laughs> he's just a, He's just an entertaining guy to listen to, but he's also, like, he was, like, one of the things he said was, like, the coaching industry is just sometimes really serious.
1: Yes. It's, it's <laughs> serious is boring to me. I, I don't know. It just, that, <laughs> I just, I just, yeah. I want to make, I want to lighten things up. And so I'm, I'm going to f- learn out more about his work since I don't know him. Yeah. Cool. Yeah.
0: So where can we find out more about your work, like your website? And
1: yeah. Like um, our website is conscious.is. That's mm-hmm. I S and we have this fantastic resources page and we open source all of our content, anything and everything we create, any coach can take it and use it any way they like. We always appreciate anybody who wants to give us some financial contribution back. But what most matters to us is that we're, we're contributing our content in ways that help the whole. So um, that's where you can find me there, conscious.is.
0: And then your book as well, which is Yeah, great. And
1: the book, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. Uh, you can find that on that, on that website. And um, that book's doing really well. So we're thrilled about that.
0: Yeah. Well, I just want to say thanks for today. I also had a lot of fun today. I felt that playful energy in our conversation.
1: Nice. Wonderful. So good to meet you.
0: Hello, everybody. Here I am again. You made it to the end. Well done. Well done. Commitment. And I just wanted to give you a heads up again. If you feel inspired to check out more podcasts like these, head to coachesrising.com forward slash podcasts. You can also check out the online courses that we run and we're getting amazing feedback from our participants. And if you feel like sharing this podcast, I'd love that. I want to get the word out to as many coaches as possible. You could even leave a review in iTunes. That would be smashing. All right, be well. See you next time.